Hello and welcome to This Week at the Movies. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Eric. And this week we have uh, quite an interesting collection of films. We have uh, Grumpy Tom Hanks. We have a gruff Gerard Butler. And uh, then we have a couple of our favorite foreign or international features. It's going to take me some time to get used to. I forgot they changed the language for that, which is actually more accurate calling it the international features. Yeah. But it's a lot to get used to. Eric, how was your week? It was. How was your week? You know what? The same. A lot mm-hmm. of projects going on at work in the middle of uh, football palooza, football mageddon this uh, weekend, but managed to find some time to watch some movies, and we are going to kick things off with a grumpy Tom Hanks in A Man Called Otto, which is actually a reba- remake of a movie called A Man Called Ovi uh, from overseas. I've actually not seen the original. I don't even think I realized it was a remake until after I was researching, after I watched it. This movie had a limited release at the end of the year and went wide this weekend. I actually saw it like mid-December, so it's been probably a month uh, since I've seen it, but it It was one that really stuck with me. Tom Hanks plays a widower um, who is recently retired from his job and is a real stickler for the rules when he gets a neighbor, a new set of neighbors who move into his small, um, I don't know if it, I guess it is gated technically because he's a real stickler about the gates, uh, the gates being down and people honoring that. Uh, But his new neighbor um, is kind of a feisty woman who uh, opens his eyes a little bit, pulls him out of his shell, and they develop probably one of the more unlikely friendships. If you've seen the trailers for this movie or the commercials, I don't think it does justice for how good Tom Hanks is and how emotionally engaging this movie is. I also love Mariana Trevino, who uh, plays his primary neighbor. Their relationship um was a delight. This is a movie that drains the ocular fluid uh, from your life uh, in very unexpected ways during a surprisingly powerful third act. I'm kind of soft touch for this type of a movie anyway, but I actually, I gave this movie two thumbs up because it's actually, if you looked at my top 20 for the year, it ended up in my top 20 for 2022 uh, after I saw probably one of the more surprising films I saw down the stretch in December. Eric, it sounded like uh, you also had some ocular fluid drainage. Yeah, it this punched me multiple times in ways that I very much appreciated. <clears throat> I there, The cast was impressive to me. Cameron Britton, uh, ever since... Mindhunter. I'm just so glad that his career has been floating the way that it is. And I, I loved him in this, this little character that he got to build. Rachel Keller as Sonia got to be the embodiment of everything that justifies the emotions that Tom Hanks is delivering in the present day that we see her mostly through flashbacks. And like you said, Mariana Trevino was like the movie to me it's tom hanks is doing a great job but it's so sold by his relationships and that's kind of written into the movie as well like you know the the relationships we have with the people around us are the reason that we live and i don't want to go too much more into that other than that i agree with you 100 percent that the trailers i'm actually going to say didn't do this movie justice and I think it's going to be undersold. And I feel like this is a perfect 
January movie, and I gave it a full two thumbs up. Yeah, it, they highlight a lot of it by talking about constantly, especially if you've seen the TV ads, come spend some time with the angriest man in America. And so you just think he's like a get off my lawn, Clint Eastwood at the beginning of Grand Torino. And it's not really exactly like that. He's a stickler for the rules. And as you dive into it, it makes more sense why rules and constructs matter so much to him, especially after people used rules against him but it was a wild 2022 for tom hanks we had awful tom hanks like as in geppetto in pinocchio we had uh off the rails tom hanks as in the manager for elvis colonel tom parker and then we had surprisingly emotionally endearing tom hanks which I feel like these are the kind of characters that he's built over the years. It was nice to see him in this. It was nice to to have this film. Uh, it was like a little bit of a warm hug. And, and I'm with you. It was a good. It's uh, ironic that it gets its wide release on Friday the 13th. Yeah. Another movie that released wide on Friday the 13th. Ironically, we had the first horror movie of the year released last weekend, and they put no horror movies on Friday the 13th in January, which feels like a missed opportunity. But we did get our first big action set piece in the ubiquitously titled Plane, because why do you need to think too hard about coming up with a film? In it, uh, Gerard Butler plays Brody Torrance, a pilot who used to be kind of one of the big pilots for his airline company until an incident saw him knocked down working smaller routes, which explains why on New Year's Day he's flying from Singapore to Tokyo and toting a grand total of 14 passengers, among them a prisoner who is being extradited, who is wanted for murder, they are asked to fly through a storm, and despite the fact that Brody suggests that's not a good idea, the company tells them they'll be fine. Spoiler alert, they are not. They end up landing on an island controlled by, I, I don't know if you'd call them terrorists, but um, mercenaries might be a better title. Off the coast of the Philippines, they kidnap most of the crew, but Brody and his uh, felonious passenger manage to fight to get them back. Eric, what were, did you think of Plane? You remember so much more about this movie than could ever stick in my brain uh, with this. Because even the writing of it, uh, things feel disconnected and inconsequential. You know, my brain is running 500 miles an hour when I get into anything that's supposed to be a thriller, trying to keep track of things. So when they introduce Mike Coulter and vaguely tell you he killed someone 15 years ago, I'm thinking like, oh, man. We're getting into why there's going to be something to do with someone trying to aim at this plane specifically something. And no, it's just he happens to have that past. They happen to have an electrical storm. Things happen to happen. And I was so whelmed by this movie. There were like two or three fairly intense uh, action sequences that range from personal to wider spread gunfire. And I, I, I can't complain about anything I like I didn't get. I couldn't give it like a thumbs down or anything like that, but it's just so much you can do character wise. And Mike Coulter and Gerard Butler are competent performers. So giving them more to work with was always like an option. And it's like he said, like the way this movie is titled tells you everything you need to know going into it is like what if we just call it plain and it's like whoever that guy is in the room ran a lot of things and actually 
this movie it's been in in production for years and Lionsgate got the rights then Lionsgate lost the rights and Lionsgate got the rights back and the movie was finished filming in 2021 and they still like it's just been it's one of those movies that I think just wallowed in development hell and now it's out and it is what it is and so I have no thumbs up or down to give it it just is there you know, Eric, this I'm learning a lot because the movies had told me you could only be whelmed in Europe, um, but apparently you can be whelmed. <laughs> uh, you know, Gerard Butler, we've seen him as somebody who uh, owns digital copies of the entire Olympus uh, trilogy, or actually there might be four of them. There's either three or four. That's how invested I am in there. But it started with Olympus Has Fallen, then it was London and Europe. Angel. London has fallen, angels fallen. Yeah, okay, that makes me feel better. There was only three. Uh, I I knew what I was going to get here. Um, like you said, there aren't any surprises. This is also a movie you shouldn't think too hard about because afterward, when I was kind of reviewing the plot, I started thinking, why is it they're, they're transporting like a dangerous prisoner who's wanted for murder, and yet there's a lot of sequences of the airline trying to get support for for getting these people back. Not once does any member of any government inquire about the police officer who met an intriguing fate that I won't give away, or the prisoner who was seemingly on this plane, and nor does the airline seemingly know that they were stuck transporting a prisoner because that never once comes up. You also would wonder like when the Mercs land, did they not have questions about the cool guy that just had a couple of machine guns who was jumping into the fight with them? They did not. And maybe there's a longer cut of this movie that explains it, but there shouldn't be. It's also an hour and 45 minutes. And if I was picking nits, I don't think a movie like this should be longer than 90 minutes. That being said, all I was looking for was Gerard Butler to give me a couple of funny lines to have an endearing character and to kick some butt and save the day. And this one actually had more of an interesting plot than I expected. I enjoyed Tony Goldwyn, who uh, played the president on Scandal. He's, uh, you know, he was actually pretty fun. I thought Mike Coulter and Gerard Butler had good chemistry. And I'm not saying it's a good or a great movie, but I'm giving it a mild thumbs up because when you're going to see a movie called Plane on January 13th, you pretty much know what you're getting. And as long as they don't drive the truck into a ditch, you have to be pretty satisfied. <laughs> I I just I just keep coming back to the scenes with Tony Goldwyn. And in my head, I keep thinking about what it was like to be in that room full of actors and extras and Tony Goldwyn being there. And they've delivered their exposition they call cut. And everyone is just hanging around in that room. Now, you think of these emotional performances when you think of filmmaking. You think of these big, like, actually, did we pull off the stunt? Did we get the emotion out of it? All of this stuff. But then you think of someone saying, like, all right, let's get them home. Cut. <laughs> like, <laughs> the realest min moment in this entire film is Gerard Butler finally manages to piece together a phone on this deserted island and calls the company <laughs> to report that his plane is down and they won't patch him through because he can't remember his employee ID number. That was the realest moment in the, in the entire 
yeah. film, you know, that Doris couldn't. There was a couple of really real moments, like when Tony Goldwyn asked the guy, you know, how much money did you save by flying him into the storm? $12,000. Oh, well, that's going to be a drop in the bucket to what you just cost. And I'm like, so true. You know, you try to yeah. save like 5K and end up costing them millions of dollars. But you know what? It is what it is. Yeah. Uh, but before we're out of here today, we wanted to end by giving uh, our picks for our favorite international feature of the year. And first up uh, is a choice by Eric is RRR, which is an Indian film. You can actually catch it on Netflix. Uh, both of the films that we picked today are actually streaming uh, and widely available, which is a, a boon for you. But Eric, I'll let you lead off. What drew you to RRR? So it's there's Tollywood and there's Bollywood. And this is, this is a Tollywood movie. <clears throat> and there are certain things that I expect when it comes to uh, like Indian cinema and whatnot. And there's, you know, elaborate dance sequences, lengthy run times and heightened romance. And there was a, a movie that came out a while ago, and I don't remember the name of it, but it's essentially a man who's a robot who can clone himself into multiple robots. And everybody knows about this movie. It's been memed to death and it's everywhere. But RRR kind of reined in just enough of the absurdity for me to make it accessible. And you got a lot of sequences that, that matter musically that are delivered through action. Uh, like choreographed stunt performing action and i gotta say all of this stuff it, it is absurd but i i loved the absurdity of it and i said i think i went in with the right expectations because i do have a friend who just recently has heard all of the swell of, of praise for rrr and went into it and was like am i being pranked because there's this person who generally takes movies very seriously and so then there's something that comes across willfully flying in the face of having to be grounded or having to be a certain type of um a certain type of movie you they i i can understand that there might be some people out there who think that this is a little bit too silly for them but especially with like the the subtitles on the music sings the story of the movie kind of over and over again and then there's a situation of of looping the audio and there's just all these other technical things that you could go into but it's an absolute blast. The the this sort of one represents fire, one represents water. They live on opposite side. They're doomed to fight each other but destined to be friends and that level of operatic <clears throat> drama and action is just amazing. And so I, it gets me through the runtime and the dance sequences are fantastic. This director, I'm like a director, <laughs> James Cameron, I know, knows when to use high shutter, high frame rate in order to get some intensity out of like dance sequences and numbers and things like that. I I just, I absolutely had a blast watching this. And, you know, my wife who is Indian sometimes has like a sort of a like tongue in cheek, kind of like, I don't know, doesn't want it to be taken not seriously. So when they get popular like this and you run the risk of being sort of a silly product and you run the risk of an industry not being taken seriously, it's like, I don't know, but I would still stand by that. This is, this has merit. So. Yeah. And you know, when you hear that you're, you've got a three hour and five minute, like Indian action epic, 
you don't know what to expect. And I, that was certainly how I, I went into it. I was a little bit later in the game. You know, it was one of the nominees that we were looking at in December. So I was making my way through a lot of the international features to see what stood out. And, you know, early on, one guy fights a tiger. They had me at that mo moment in time. The action sequence was good. The graphics were good. They have an introductory story that kind of pulls you into this world and is fascinating. Um, the two guys who are the main leads had a great chemistry and play off each other really well. You go from fighting a tiger to a lavish song and dance number to some huge action sequences uh, where they're putting out these exotic animals to help lead a raid where they're trying to rescue a child that's been kidnapped by, you know, English oppressors. <clears throat> There's a lot in this, um, and it was, like you said, it was a lot of fun. The music works, the dancing works, some great BFX in this movie. Um, the story works. It's It was a lot of fun. It, it was one that I, I had a lot of fun with. One of the better ones, it won uh, Best International Feature for North American Film Critics uh, last week. Um, it was certainly way up there for me. Um, so I enjoyed that one. I actually had it second to the movie that I went with as my pick, which is another film you can find on Netflix, and that's Bardo, uh, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths. Uh, this one comes from Alejandro Gonzalez Inaritu. Uh, it is also almost three hours long. This was the year of long movies, particularly when it came to international features. Uh, this is Mexican uh, entry. Uh, much of the film is set in Mexico. It focuses on um, a journalist and documentarian who is on the verge of getting huge reward in his career. And he returns to, he lives in the United States. He returns home to Mexico uh, where he's kind of confronted with his past and begins to reflect on his life. This movie is not straightforward. I gave a fairly straightforward description for a movie that is very wildly creative and imaginative. Um, there is a twist in this film. I understood what was happening at the time that it happened. So I think that probably impacted my appreciation of everything that kind of followed in the film. I knew where we were going and why we were doing it. Um, but uh, Daniel Jimenez Cacho is the main actor in here. I thought he was fantastic. It bums me out that he isn't getting more talk for being in the shortlist for the five for the best actor. I have not always been a huge fan of Inaritu. He did Birdman. He did The Revenant. He did Babel, which is actually a movie that I despise with every fiber of my being. Um, this is my favorite of his films, and I was very surprised when they when I knew I was about to watch a three-hour film from him, I was like bracing myself for disappointment. I think it has some fantastic creative visuals, and I was also very emotionally drawn in uh, to the story of this man, and I think that it really hits a, a high point in the third act when you reveal what precisely is going on, which for some people is going to come as a surprise and may help explain some of their frustration with things that happened beforehand. Um, you know, I was tracking what was happening, like I said, um, but it still hit me very emotionally. It was just a movie that I was surprised. I enjoyed so much. I uh, have it way up in my top 15 of the year. 
And that is well-deserved. I finally watched Bardo in preparation for this week. And I got to be honest with you, it's one of those movies that I think if if I were dropped into a room and nobody had given me any information about anything and this just was turned on, I would immediately recognize certain dreamlike things from dreams I've had. And I felt like it was it was fairly easy to identify with what was going on. I thought the performances pretty much all around were fantastic. But I didn't know that there was a layer of autobiography to this for Inuritu. And it's once that information got in my head, it's really apparent. And it felt like I had a hook that helped me understand like where I was going. Just that that core sense of uh, being a first generation immigrant and what you feel like your relationship is to other people that are suffering like that alone is a movie I would watch. And then a movie about this family, I would probably watch. And then a movie about a director, you know, receiving an award and conflicting with, you know, fraud syndrome and so many things like, so there's like three movies in here that I would probably watch on my own. And so the three hours I, I think is okay. Justified. I was particularly struck with most of the dream imagery when he speaks with uh, Cortez on the mountain of bodies like that 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 little moment that scene that sequence was very like chilling to me and so I thank you because this is an experience that I'm not sure I would have taken the time to like dig out if it weren't for it I, I I'm now re-watching The Revenant which I received trying to get a slip cover cover for another movie somebody sent it on The Revenant just to get it out <laughs> and even that i have a little bit more of an appreciation for i think just just looking at his work his wide angle lens swivel the camera around like sensibilities i i don't know he's I, he's i think it was good for him to release a movie that's a little more personal because i feel like it makes him a little more accessible yeah and i like the revenant okay you know leonardo dicaprio does a good job and i like birdman okay but i've never loved one of his movies i was really taken um with the visuals and for me it was when he has the incident with the fish early on um i suspected what was happening and if you're really paying attention when he first goes into the mexican tv studio they're interviewing the bus driver and they're describing what they found and it confirmed for me that i was right and that released um and i think some of the biggest hard time people have had with the film is that it's kind of a non-linear non-conventional storytelling but it it makes sense why it's nonlinear, non-conventional if you pick up what's happening early on or once you get to where they very clearly tell you what's happening. That didn't save it for some people. I was able to look past it. Um, I think that's, to me, when I've seen the people that got frustrated or got all out on it, it's really whether or not you can go with the flow. But I've, I've enjoyed those kind of... I One of the movies that I appreciated from um, Tim Burton is Big Fish, which is um, a movie that is told in a very similar style, a father and a son kind of told through stories um so it's a style that that i appreciate and i appreciated the way that they did it in this film um one of the more interesting ones so if you have about six hours boy do we have some subtitled films for you to catch on netflix yeah 
Absolutely. <clears throat> or, you know, you could just go watch two hours of guys shooting people from a plane. <laughs> Either yeah. way, you're going to be happy this week. Yeah, I think there's a good, well-rounded bit of, of emotions for people to pick from. I like that. Well, that is going to wrap it up for us this week. Uh, we will be back soon, but until then, we'll see you at the movies. <laughs>